0: One day, you might be on the waiver wire. The next day, you might be on top of the world. And sometimes, you're on such a roll that everything you touch turns into hot lava. And right now, these three guys are going through one of those superhuman stretches that looks so good, it probably isn't sustainable. The trick to returning to form and not letting regression define the rest of your career. Which of these hot starts points to a promising future? Episode 189, The Lace Them Up Podcast starts right now and now it's time to lace them up here's brett and steve and welcome to the show ladies and gentlemen i'm steve ellsworth
1: i'm brett DuBuff
0: and uh, on today's show, uh, we're going to hearken back to a few of the names that we mentioned in our previous episode. Uh, we're going to talk about some surprise goal-scoring streaks. And, uh, Brett, there are three players we are going to tackle today.
1: Yes, uh, so there are three guys. Uh, we're going to start with uh, James Neal. Uh, then we're going to go into a former teammate of James Neal, uh, Eric Halla. Yep. And then we're gonna talk about Victor Olofsson, who we talked a little bit about last week, but, um, and he also seemed to have um, kind of slipped in the last, um, or he hasn't, he slipped in the last week, but we'll talk about him regardless. Um, He hasn't scored in the last three games, I think. Um, So, but we're gonna start with James Neal um, to get things going. Uh, He has nine goals and 10 points in eight games, um, 27 shots on goal. That's uh, 33.5% shooting percentage. Um, And, I mean, so James Neal has been in the league for about 12 seasons now. Um, Yeah, 12 years. Um, And, you know, he usually gets around 20 goals or 30 goals, but now he's on pace for... He has nine goals in eight games, so I think if you do the math right, he's probably like on pace for like ninety goals or something like that. So you may not get that, but uh, I I thought that's kind of funny. Um, if if he does end up getting ninety goals, um, he uh, he has seventeen minutes of uh, average ice time um and i kind of i love this this uh if anyone doesn't know but uh both me and steve use this site called frozen pool that dauber sports uses um it's just a tool to use to see like the different uh lineup combinations and stuff so i was just checking it out to see because i thought for like i wanted to see how much how often james neal is with connor mcdavid and leon drysaddle and it turns out that on even strength, he's mostly with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, um, and then it's either uh, Thomas Yurko and Alex Chieson as the other guy. Um, and he's not with Leon Drysaddle and Connor McDavid um, until the the power play. Like that's the only time that he sees Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. So I was going. So before I found this out, I was going to make the case that like, oh, James Neal. Um, he's just benefiting a lot from being with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. When really, that's not really the case because um, uh, I guess, well, six of, to be fair, six of his nine goals uh, this year are on the power play. So maybe it is a little bit of a McDavid effect, but it's also like if you're if you're still on even strength with like someone else, then that's probably not, uh, solely like you're still doing well without Connor McDavid, um, even still. So, um, yeah. Uh, before I go on, what do you think about, um, James Neal? I'm
0: not surprised on the hot streak that much when you consider what he did prior to his years of slight regression after he left pittsburgh um even in his sophomore season with dallas he was pretty good he had 27 goals and 55 points um averaged just over 18 minutes per game generated 200 shots on goal so that's 2.5 shots per game um his power play stats uh, weren't appealing at first he had two goals on 38 shots with eight assists in his second year but in fairness brad richards that year was really clicking on the power play he had 13 goals in a 40-point season with the main advantage over 400 power play minutes amongst the league leaders uh, in power play minutes so When you take a look at James Neal's power play stats in his second year, it's not all that bad when you consider Brad Richards was hogging up a lot of the power play ice time. And then you go to a year later, midseason, he gets traded to Pittsburgh and he's mostly playing on a line with Alex Kovalev, who at that point was still a decent player, but slowly regressing, slowly getting older, not the prime Alex Kovalev we're used to seeing. And over that six to seven week period uh, in 2011, when he was with the Penguins, James Neal only scored one goal and six points in 20 games. However, his 52 shots were near the top of the Pittsburgh Penguins roster in that stretch of six to seven weeks. And he also missed 21 shots and he had 14 of those 52 shots on the power play. So even on a line with Alex Kovalev, he was getting a lot of chances. And then the year after that, 2011, 2012, that was his banner season, a season where Sidney Crosby, if you don't remember, was prone to concussions and barely playing any sort of hockey. So, um, that is when you saw the real deal start to emerge at the NHL level. He had a 40 goal season, 81 points in 80 games, uh, um, just over 19 minutes per game, uh, which was also uncharted territory for him. Yeah. He had a whopping 329 shots on goal. That's an average of four shots per game and 123 minutes shots. So if more of them were on target, he could have had over 400 shots right. that season. Um, as far as power play stats go that year, he had 18 goals and 95 shots, as well as 30 points, uh, nearly four minutes game on the power play too um and that was on what was probably at the time because Crosby was hurt the top line with Evgeny Malkin right and over the years after that and the two seasons after that he was still he was still pretty dominant even in the final season with the Penguins where I think he only played like 59 games he was still a point-of-game player close to 30 goals he was he, he was pretty dominant in his days with the penguins and then you get to the part where he's playing with nashville and vegas and you know he's not really as dominant as he was with malkin and the penguins but at the same time he was still playing with you know top six talents like philip Forsberg and ryan johansson and nashville um david perron and eric hall on the second line in vegas which was a pretty effective second line, too. And during that stretch, he was a guy that was going to give you traditionally 20 to 25 goals, 40 to 45 points, 200 shots on goal. If you give him the puck and you give him chances to score, he's going to do some damage. And it might not be out-of-this-world kind of damage, but still decent enough to bury you. So that made his rough-and-tumble season in Calgary a little bit shocking right but not really surprising because the gm brad Treliving living of the flames still is was very very high and i mentioned it before was very very high on elias lindholm and he thought he was ready to pop and have a breakout year and he did right because he took james neal's spot and i think part of james neal's regression was on the team but also on himself if you look at his giveaway takeaway ratio he had i think 35 giveaways and 11 takeaways it that was by far and away the worst he had like 10 giveaways on the power play alone johnny hockey was the only one that had more giveaways on the power play and he i think finished first on the team in total power play minutes james neal was like fifth sixth maybe lower than that in power play minutes and Anytime you give the puck away and become a liability, guess what? You don't play top six minutes. Right. And I think, in a sense, the Flames didn't put him in a position to succeed, but he didn't put himself in a position to succeed either. And so far this year, he has been given a clean slate in Edmonton. He's been given a fresh start. He's been given top six minutes. And this is the James Neal you're going to see if you put him in a position to succeed. So with all things considered, am I surprised that he's on pace for 80 to 90 goals, especially now that he's in his 30s? A little bit. But given the fact that this is the same James Neal that has scored 20 to 25 goals typically per season, generates usually 200 shots per season, when I think about that, and when I think about some of the guys he's, he's played with in the past on previous teams, like yep. Evgeny Malkin, like Brad Richards. Am I surprised that on a team with McDavid, Nuge and Drysdale that he's having this kind of a year. It, it's, it's not a mind blowing revelation that, Oh my God, James Neal is a really good player.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I don't think it's like surprising that uh, James Neal would be having this bounce back season. Cause I was looking at his stats uh, previously, because, you know, he, um, you know, he, like, unlike Halla and Victor Olofsson, who are both relatively young, it's hard to really gather who they are. But for James Neal, especially since he's like 32 years old right now, it's like we kind of know what we're going to get out of James Neal. Um, And I was just looking here and there's only one season where he didn't have 20 or more goals. Um, and that was last year in Calgary. And that's when he had seven goals. So like, it yeah. just... Yeah. So he has, he, yeah, yeah, that's
0: the funny part. He has yeah. more goals this year already compared to last year. And his yeah. six power play goals are the most since 2013-14, his last year in Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, so that should show you exactly how like he was underused in Calgary. Um, and now he's, you know... I mean, he should have worked with Calgary. And like you said that it just appeared that Bill Peters liked um, Elias Lindholm a lot more uh, for whatever reason, but it ended up working for him at least uh, last year it did. Um, and now it's, um, you know, now it's it's a little different because uh, James Neal is now in Edmonton. Um, and like you said, it's like, in, he hasn't had these good of a centers since um since his Pittsburgh days. Uh Nashville always historically has had bad centers other than I guess Ryan Johansson and Vegas, like that was the first year. So they didn't have guys like uh well William Carlson I guess counts, but like they didn't yeah. have um what's his face? They didn't have Paul Stasney there. Um so um it's a little tough to say that. And then the same goes for Calgary when you're not on the Sean Monaghan line. I mean, I guess uh, Michael Backlund is fine, but he's not like a world yeah. beater or whatever. So, um, yeah, so exactly. It's it's not surprising that if you have, if he has better, a better support system uh, behind him or better teammates behind him, then yeah, he's, he's going to be better and he's going to, uh, show what he uh, what he can do, um, but like yeah, you just look at his stats. He had far better stats in Pittsburgh than he did in Edmonton, than in Calgary and Vegas, in Nashville, and that has a lot to do with the fact that he was playing with Crosby and Malkin, um, and and all that stuff. So I I think um, of the three, he is the most likely to sustain his run, given that he knows what we know what. Work, what he is capable of, um, like I mentioned, he only had one year in his 12 year career that he didn't have 20 or more goals. Um, I mean, at this point, it would be kind of like a disappointment if he does have like 20 goals, but <laughs> because of how hot he's been, but um, but I feel like that's a good earmark for him if, um, if he does make 20 or more goals. Um, don't think he'll just, have, just... yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, if you're, if, uh, no, you, you continue to wrap up your point with James Neal, but I got an interesting stat for you after that.
1: Okay. Um. I don't think he'll have 90 goals, which is what he's on pace yeah. for. <laughs> um, I think we can both agree that. Yeah, huh? yeah, but I could see him being like a 30 or 40 goal scorer, maybe even 50, if we're, um, if he gets hot for like until like January or something, um, and also. Uh, because we're going to be talking about Eric Halla and Victor Olofsen. Um, the wingers in Carolina and Buffalo, um, or the competition, um, in, in those in those places are a lot better or a lot stronger than the competition of wingers in, um, Edmonton. So That's like, um, so for like Victor Olsen's case, for instance, um, it's, uh, you know, like if he starts to struggle, which it looks like he is starting to, you know, Buffalo will put back uh, Jeff Skinner in because uh, Skinner was that guy um, last year. And, you know, they also have maybe Casey Middlestad could be a winger. I don't know. Maybe they have a couple of other wingers, the, uh, Connor Sheery, um, Jimmy VC. Um, Marcus Johansson could be a a winger or something like that. So uh, they have a little bit of a competition. Same goes for Eric Holla, which I'll get into a bit when we talk about him. But um, just, I mean, he's not a winger, obviously, but um, in terms of centers, it's like he's not even on this. He's not even on the second line. Uh, So it's it's a. uh, because of Jordan Stahl, who's good defensively, and of course you have Sebastian Aho, so like if he starts to struggle, it's I mean it's a little bit of a different case for Carolina, I guess, but um, because he's on the third line, so he's not even getting top line minutes. Um, but uh, yeah, so so I think the the factor that the but like in Edmonton, I guess you could call up Killier Yamamoto. Um, maybe figure out uh Jesse Pulley RV if James Neal starts to struggle, but um, really, there's not that many wingers that um, James, like, if James Neal is struggling, it's kind of like too bad, you know, and I think that's that's where it um, where I feel like James Neal's uh deployment is. Pretty secure in in that sense. Um, whether he'll continue to do this, I'm not sure, but it's more likely that it's gonna he's gonna be able to sustain it or be at least a good player for Edmonton um, versus the other two. Okay, now go yeah, to and, your and, your point. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and and to add to your point, you know that that make that means. The bottom six scores have got to step it up and chip in 10 to 15 goals whatever their yeah. benchmark is because then the oilers get into the habit of relying too much on their top six and that's when you start to suffer yeah. in the standings so um the True. depth scoring definitely needs to improve um here's here's the interesting stat i did not realize existed until i did some digging on the nhl's website so Going back to 2014-15, this was the year that led to the Oilers drafting Connor McDavid. Um, it should it should be noted that in a couple of these seasons, the Oilers weren't that good at generating shots in in general. But here's a look at how often the Oilers use the wrist shots. So in 2014-15, they were 26 out of 30 teams in wrist shots on goal in Connor mcdavid's rookie year didn't play all of it because that collarbone but still played a fair amount of games in 2015-16 the oilers ranked 23rd out of 30 teams in wrist shots on goal 2016-17 when they were 8th in the league in total shots on goal they were still 25th out of 30 teams in wrist shots on goal 7th in the league in 2017-18 in total shots but still 23rd out of 31 teams because vegas was a team at that point in wrist shots on goal last year 28th out of 31 teams in wrist shots this year after eight games bottom five in wrist shots on goal interesting here is why this makes sense from 2009 2010 james neal's second year in the league to his downright awful year in calgary last year 2018-19 that's a stretch of nine seasons James Neal ranks 18th in the league in shots on goal. He has posted 1,284 wrist shots during that stretch. You know how many players rank higher than him during that stretch in wrist shots on goal?
1: I think I'm guessing he's the only he's the top guy. No one. He,
0: he's not the top guy, but only eight have more wrist shots oh, than wow. him during that nine-year stretch. So how many of those wrist shots? one in the back of the net well when you analyze james neal's goal scoring during this nine-year stretch 125 of his 245 goals have been wrist shot tallies and dating from 2014-15 to game eight of this year 70 of his last 119 goals have been scored via the wrist shot including four of his first nine goals with the oilers On just 11 shots with the wrist shot so he's relying on that wrist shot more and more these days an element that the Oilers have been lacking for years so not only is he scoring goals he's scoring goals in a way that not many people in Edmonton have seen in a while so the fact that he adds another element to the Oilers offense is also important so that's why I pointed out
1: interesting yeah I didn't realize that he um that I guess that's another switch of wrist shots or like, yeah, I guess that's an interesting uh, tidbit here. Um, yeah, whether Edmonton can continue to play well is another story, um, altogether and something that we, we may tackle a couple weeks from now or whatever. But, um, yeah, we'll see how, uh, I think a, a lot part of it is, is how good James Neal will be. Um, throughout the year. Um, all right, let's get into our next guy. Um, his name is Eric Holla. Very similar to James Neal in that, uh, well, first off, they were, they both were, uh, teammates in that, in that Vegas, um, the initial year, um, in Vegas. Um, and, uh, Eric Holla even did better than James Neal did in Vegas. Um, but also in the fact that uh, Eric Holla has been on a goal scoring streak. Um, He has seven goals and eight points in eight games, uh, or nine games, sorry, Um, and uh, 25 shots. um, And that's roughly a 28% uh, shooting percentage. Um, So um, that's also ridiculously high. Um I should mention that uh Eric Holler was was injured um as he sustained a big hit during the second period against the Ducks on uh Friday. But uh he might play on Thursday, which is when the when Carolina's next game is. Um three of those goals, seven goals were uh power on the power play. Um, he has around the same uh time on ice as James Neal, which is around 17 minutes per game, which is kind of surprising considering that he's on the third line, um, he's on the second power play, um, and all that stuff. So, um, so he is kind of like, I guess technically, he's not a top six forward. But he's also, he's also, like, getting the time on ice that would, uh, would be required. Like, that could, you know, he's getting a ton of time on ice still. Uh, 17 minutes is not bad. Um, his line mates are Ryan Dezingle and Martin Nikash. Um, and he's also on the second line in power play with Ryan Dezingle again. Andrei Sveshnikov and Tevo Teravainen. Um, the interesting thing about Eric Holla is, in particular, is is that he's being deployed like he's a depth guy, and uh, both Sebastian Aho and Nino Niederreiter are both struggling. Uh, Jordan Stahl doesn't is more of a defensive guy. Uh, Brock McGinn is somehow in this lineup, but like Tevo Teravainen and Sveshnikov seem, and. Are, seem to be the only guys on the top six line who are even contributing at all at the moment. Um, and then, of course, you have Eric Halla and Ryan Dezingle, who have been uh, very good together, um, along with Martin Nikash, the other guy. So it's, it's an interesting development because now the depth scoring is improving purely because the best player, Sebastian Ajo, is not really performing like we are we expect him to. I assume he'll eventually figure it out, Sebastian Aho, but um, at the moment he's, um, he's not doing that. So, um, but the other thing about the thing, let's see here. So he's not getting great deployment, but there's something to be said for almost being a goal per game player when he's on the third line. Um, and um, I wonder, um, I don't think Aho is going to be like moved down. Maybe he's injured or something like that. But um, maybe I-, I know that Ajo is struggling and uh, Jordan Stahl is like good defensively. But I kind of wonder if maybe they move Hala up um, to like the second line center um, at some point this season. Um, and then... Lastly, before I bring it to you, um, he had uh, he had twenty nine goals and fifty five points in seventy six games for Vegas. His first year there, um, or yeah, his first year there, then got injured the next year. Um, so I could see him still realistically being a fifty to sixty point guy, but um, but yeah, this like the fact that he's on the third line, the fact that he's on. The second line, power, the second power play, it kind of bothers me. So that does have me a little bit worried. Um, maybe they'll eventually move him up in the lineup, but um, I don't think his hot start will continue throughout the year um, unless he gets better deployment.
0: Yeah, so as as usual, we're thinking on the same wavelength here. So I'm going to touch on a few of the points that you've already mentioned, but Mm -hmm. let's take a look at uh, what he did uh, in that inaugural season with the Vegas Golden Knights because uh, it was very impressive. Um, He posted 29 goals and 26 assists for a total of 55 points in 76 games. Its average time on ice was 17.22 per game, should be noted. He didn't even average 14 minutes per game in any of his prior NHL seasons. So that was by far and away... A career year for him um, n- not surprisingly shattered his career highs and goals and points he didn't even have a single 40 point season to his name not a single 20 goal season to his name um, he had 175 shots that year um, and missed the target 71 times so he was getting a lot of opportunities to shoot the puck And like Neil during his days with the Penguins, Hollow was a silent but deadly killer with the man advantage over in Vegas. Um, He had 12 goals on 26 shots with the extra man uh, for the Golden Knights. For a guy who ranked 8th on the team in power play shots, that's very, very impressive. Um, And even outside of penalty minutes, he was a near 20-goal scorer and had 149 shots. So... um, even when you take away what he what he did on the power play, he still posted pretty decent numbers. Um, during this time, he spent 10 to 15% of his even-strength ice time with James Neal, uh, as well as the likes of Thomas Tatar and Alex Tuck. But the majority of his time was spent with David Perron, who had a career year himself that season. Um, really even with his power play time he was spent he spent a lot of time with neil and perron but in different capacities um so he, he wasn't really a top line player but he was a solid second player um that really had a top six role that was his role there there wasn't that much depth on vegas at that time they didn't have patch reddy they didn't have stastny they didn't have mark stone they were a team on the rise taking everyone by surprise and everyone was just rallying around each other and eric Hall was a solid second line player for them um as i'll mention in in the, in the carolina case as you did um it's a different story in carolina there's a lot of depth to go around um when you take a look at his numbers this year 25 shots that's actually higher than is average shots per game uh in that career season in Vegas uh that's 2.78 shots per game um taking a look at his power play uh stats three goals on nine shots so very efficient there averaging just over 3 minutes of power play time per game with the extra man outside of that four goals on 16 shots so that's a shooting percentage of 25% so again fantastic numbers um As you mentioned, outside of the power play, he hasn't really spent much time with Carolina's big guns. He's been primarily with Dezingle and Martin Nakash. Um, It should also be noted that uh, Dezingle and Nakash have been having a successful season so far. Uh, The former Senator Ryan Dezingle has two goals and five assists for seven points in his first nine games. Um, Nakash has a pair of goals as well as three helpers, so that's five points for him. Um, and this is on a third line, centered by Eric Halla. Here's what's very interesting about Halla's deployment. Think about deployment and how he's not in the top six. Eric Halla is top five in faceoffs taken, and he's 184. So at last check, top five, top 10 in faceoffs won in the league. So for a guy that is on the third line, he's taking a lot of face-offs and he's winning a lot of face-offs too. So um, good on Eric Holla for stepping up his game in other facets. And in a contract here, you know, that's only going to help his cause right. for a guy not even making $3 million per year. If he hits the open market, a lot of teams might be willing to not break the bank, but you know, at least maybe give him $5 million per year if, if they see enough talent there. Um I share your caution with Holla's deployment, though, because when you look down the middle, there's Sebastian Ajo, who is, struggles aside, is probably still their top line center. Jordan Stahl, their current captain, the second line center. You look at the wing at left wing, where Holla also has experience, there's Sveshnikov, there's Dezingle, and there's Nita Rider. So, um, that's basically three guys he's gotta fight through on the left side. So you're right. Unless he gets top six minutes, it's gonna be awfully tough to continue at this pace. If if he can replicate his stats with Vegas, that would be very, very good. If he surpasses the great. But I'm not expecting it. Yeah. So I think I think I think if he gets twenty five goals and fifty points, that's a good year for Aracola.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think I mean that's very much what he had in Vegas the, his first year. Um, like, and I'm, I'm looking at his average time on ice. Um, he has currently his average time on ice in, uh, in Vegas, I guess it's not current, but uh, his first year in Vegas that year when he kind of broke out, uh, he was, it was 17 minutes of average ice time. He's currently 17 minutes and 22 seconds he's currently managing 16 minutes and 58 uh, time on ice on average so he's getting around the same ice time so maybe there is something to be said about like you know like he is kind of like he's technically on the third line he's technically on the second power play unit but he's also produced he is getting the minutes and he is producing like he is a top line person. So there is something to be said for being on the third line and still being able to produce. Um, I you know whether it's going to continue, I'm not sure. But um, but maybe there is some hope to him, considering that he's still getting a fair amount of uh, time on ice, um, even though technically he's on the third line. Um, okay. Um, and then the last guy we're going to talk about here is Victor Olofsson um, who I, uh, I have to bring up his stats because he played last night. Um, he uh, he has uh, eight points in nine games, six of them were goals. Um, his Speaking of time on ice, he also has 17 minutes of ice time and 37 seconds on average. Um, his shooting percentage is still pretty high, even though he hasn't scored um, in the last two games. Um, he has 19, uh, 19 shots on goal, 31.6% 31, um, 31. of the shooting percentage. So all three of these guys have ridiculously high shooting percentages, but um, for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and his linemates, here's where uh, it gets a little bit, Interesting here because uh, his line mates um, are Jack Eichel um, and Sam Reinhart on the top line, um, and then which is about a 22.06 frequency, which is the highest on the team of, of Sabers. And then on the power play, um, he also gets he also plays with Eichel, Reinhardt, and then he also plays with Jeff Skinner and uh, Rasmus Dalin. So, um, so he's getting prime deployment um, in this sense um, with, as opposed to the other guys. His, his deployment is very good. Uh, there is something t- though that uh, I think recently he was mo- bumped off the power play he is starting to uh, struggle a little bit. He's not bumped off the even strength the line one yet, but he might be eventually. Um, I could see that happening. Um, and uh, he's also, um, what was my other note here? Um, oh, so yeah, he was a seventh round pick in the 2014 draft, as I think you were going to mention. Um, I got that off of your notes, um, but he also, um, so that's like, you know, he doesn't have a ton of a uh, draft pedigree, unlike Sam Reinhardt or Jack Eichel does, but um, he did have 63 points in 66 AHL games, so that's nothing to really sne- uh, sneeze about. Um, he is experienced, I feel like, however, I feel like he's experiencing the Eichel, Effect um, more than James Neal is ex- experiencing the McDavid effect um, because uh, that's basically his line mate um, is Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart. Um, so, um, so of the three, I think he's going to be the least sustainable. But, um, but if he continues to be with Eichel and Reinhart, who are proven players. I feel like he has a good chance of being able to be a decent player for the Buffalo Sabres. Um, so yeah. What, what are your thoughts on Victor Olofsson?
0: So yeah. Um, should emphasize again, he was a seventh round pick by Buffalo 181st overall in the 2014 draft should be noted it was a pretty deep draft. As far as players taken outside the first round, there are some pretty notable names. Uh, Braden Point was a third round selection. Uh, so was Elvis, the goalie in Columbus, Warren Fogel in Carolina, Mike Amadio with the Kings. Uh, in the fourth round, there was Victor Arbuthn and Danton Heinen. Um, you had Anders Bjork in round five, Sammy right. Blay, who is now with the Blues, he was a round six selection. The only other notable guy that was taken in the seventh round outside of Victor Olofsson was Andre Kasha of the Ducks. He was one of the last picks taken um, by the Ducks that year. Um, and there's a reason for that because traditionally you don't expect seventh round picks to do much of anything uh, in, in at the NHL level. It- now um and his rise to be perfectly honest didn't really begin until 2016-17 when he was uh, in the uh, swedish hockey league um which he spent with for he had nine goals and 18 assists for 27 points and 51 regular season games so not superhuman stats but not not uh, that bad either In the playoffs is that year in the 2017 playoffs that's when he really started going he had four goals and eight assists for 12 points in 14 games um the following season 2017-18 he drops 27 goals and 16 assists for 43 points in 50 games that was his fourth season of duty in the swedish hockey league prior to that over four seasons he had 33 goals and 41 assists combined in 150 games so up until that point he wasn't a hot commodity Mm. and then he goes to north america for the first time never played a professional season in north america prior to last year so he starts off in the american hockey league with the rochester americans buffalo's affiliate as a rookie he led the team with 30 goals 33 assists and 63 points all three categories he was the team leader he was one of 13 ahl players to hit 30 goals that year while cementing a spot in the scoring race as a top 15 point producer. He ranked third on the Americans with 193 shots on goals, sat in the league's top 20 in that stat as well. And if you break down how he scored his goals, he had 20 at even strength, so he could score a lot of power play goals. He had nine, but he had 20 goals at even strength and then we get to the final week of the nhl season last year when the buffalo sabers called him up to the show and in the six games he played he put on a show while with jack eichel so even last year in the short time he spent with the sabers he was on the jack eichel line and both of the two goals that he scored were on the power play he averaged 3.5 shots per game um he missed another 10 as well in those six games that he played um his common partners on the power play were eichel and skinner which kind of explains why he was so effective on the power play at even strength i think he scored zero goals and like 16 shots so at even strength he wasn't that particularly effective numbers wise but he was still getting a lot of chances to shoot the puck because he was on the Jack Eichel line. So then we go back to this year where he's just a scoring machine. And once again, every single goal that he has scored has been on the power play. Six goals on 14 shots on the power play this year. He's the first NHL player to get his first eight career goals on the power play. So at even strength, he has not scored a goal yet which is both amazing and concerning because everyone knows you are not a hall of fame player just based on power play stats alone. You need to be a threat at even strength shorthanded. You know, if that's a, if, if that, if that does your world of good, you know, be a, be a beast shorthanded. Why not? Yeah. Just, just gives you another reason for teams to want you. But this is where I start to proceed with caution because if he is only known for scoring in the power play and he can't score in the power play and he can't score at even strength. That's that that's where you start to get into trouble, and that's where the men start to go down a little bit. Right. Um so, uh, the good the good news is like you said, he's been spending time on the top line with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt, even at even strength. So as long as he's getting the chances, this guy is a threat to score goals. But like you mentioned, there's also Jeff Skinner, who has been a top player in this league, um, who's played top-line minutes, who's played top-line minutes on the power play, who's had multiple 30-goal seasons in his career, I believe had 40-some last year, just getting paid a lot of money. And he had a pair of nine-shot outings this past week as a second-line left winger. So it's not that hard for ralph krueger to say okay skinner's on the top line
1: now right
0: because jeff skinner has been on the top line before and he's been pretty good on the top line so it's it's not like they're gonna ride or die with victor Olsson no matter what they have other options to work with so i think it's really really tough to gauge what victor Olsson is because you know what he might be a guy that scores 20 to 25 goals if he's a second-line player. That's fantastic. He might be a guy that scores 30 to 40 as a top-line winger. That's also great. But I'm just not sure if what he's been billed as going into this year and even before that, I'm not sure if that matches up with the actual talent. Like, look at Alex Chie son in previous years. Look at right. Jimmy VC. In previous years before they entered the league or in the early stages of their NHL careers the hype around them was so huge, was like they were billed as top six talents right away and now they're they appear to just be solid depth guys which yep. you know what isn't bad but is it the same as what they were hyped up as no they were hyped up as difference makers and it's really tough to judge Victor Olsson because he hasn't spent that much time in North America. He hasn't spent that much time in the NHL, and he's still learning. So I think this is a very, very tough one to call because we haven't seen him play a full season in the NHL, and we really don't know the full story behind Victor Olsson. So... I think again if he can get 20 to 25 goals and 50 points that's a pretty good year for Victor Olesen. Uh kind of kind of Eric Hollow like numbers.
1: yep yeah.
0: but if he can surpass that great for him I I just I just really it's really tough for me to uh, to label Victor Olsson because I still don't know what he is just yet and I don't think anybody is uh, very certain as to what he is either.
1: A counterpoint to this, Uh, one point uh, you mentioned like different 7th round picks, Um, Andre Cache is like actually a pretty good player Um, so it's not not, like completely unheard of for like players from the 7th round to be like these hidden gems, Jimmy Ben is the classic example of a guy who was drafted very late. Um, and then turned out to be a pretty good player. Um, Also, like, you know, the same could be said for, like, I mean, obviously, Johnny Gaudreau was a fourth-round pick. Um, Jake Gensel was a third-round pick. But, like, it's not completely unheard of for players to be, um, to, like, make it, like, after their first round. In fact, that's kind of why the Edmonton Oilers have struggled as a team, because they haven't been able to develop players that weren't drafted in the first round. Um, That's a very good point. So, uh, so just to base it off of the fact that he was a seventh round pick seems a little odd to me. Um, because I don't really take too much account to draft pedigree. It's like if you can make it, you can make it, kind of thing. And like you know, and the draft is always like. It's a big time in hindsight type situation so like True. if you know because like if uh 2014 was going to be have a draft again um somehow like if we're going to redraft it David Pasternak would be first the first overall pick <laughs> so um instead he was picked 25th so it's it's um I mean I guess there was also Leon Triacidal, so I guess you can make a case for Leon Driasidel now that I think about it. But yeah. um but having said that, you have um you know, it's like so just just being a late draft pick shouldn't matter in terms of how good this player can be in the NHL. Um your other point about him only scoring during the power play might have some legs um, because you know it, it shows that he's he's only one-dimensional at the moment. Of course he could show that you know he's good on other aspects of the game but if you can only score in the power play um, that's kind of um, that's a it's an alarming. Um, stat. I mean, it's obviously pretty good because, you know, you can score in the power play, but um, and that's a good, uh, good unique skill to have where you're a power play specialist and whatnot. But um, if that's all you have, then that kind of limits what you can do and how much ice time you do have. Um, So that I do take some regards. And then, like I said, for James Neal, um, you know, it's it's a different situation in Buffalo because if Victor Oladipo starts to struggle, which it looks like he is, because he hasn't scored in the last two games, he hasn't even gotten a shot off. He's gotten two shots off in the last two games. Um, he didn't even get a shot off last night. Um, the you know if he starts to struggle even more. Then Jeff Skinner is gonna take his place, um, and mm. and even still, you have guys like Connor Sheary who's looking good. Uh, you have um, maybe you move up Casey Middlestad who plays wing. Maybe you move up Mar- Mo- Marcus Johansson who plays wing sometimes, left wing sometimes. So like they have a lot of options if Victor Olsen doesn't uh, work out at the moment. So I feel like. If, um, if, I guess, or maybe when um, he's not working with Eichel or Reinhardt, then that's when you start to wonder, okay, maybe he's more of a middle line per- guy versus uh, a top line guy. Um, but, um, but, yeah, at the moment, I... Um, yeah, so I, I imagine Jeff Skinner will eventually move up that lineup um, once Olafson starts to struggle again. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, th- there were a couple of interesting quotes, because I-, I saw this interesting article when uh, Victor Olofsson made the team at a training camp. And there was this ex- extensive article about uh, previous players and coaches talking about him. And um, it-, it offered up some interesting points as to you know why Victor Olafson will be able to stick around and maybe be an impact player in the league um, there is um, there's one quote from um, Chris Taylor, his AHL coach in Rochester last year. He said uh, in the pa- in the final two months of the regular season, he started to play Victor Olsson more on the penalty kill, and he actually thrived on it. Uh, so the fact that he's trying to get into the defensive game is also encouraging. Um, Linus Olmark, who is his teammate in Moto, um, explained. How Victor Olsson would hide his shot. He says, for some guys they open up the blade in a typical way where they hint with their shoulders, how they put their elbows. And for he says for us goalies, it's more about reading the player than reading the actual shot because guys in this league they shoot too fast. So he says if I just want to go off the puck speed and where the release is, I'm not going to make the save. I have to actually kind of read the player beforehand. And he goes on to say what Victor Olson does well is he hides all those intentions in a very peculiar way, which makes it very harder to know where he's actually going to shoot the puck. So if he can be deceptive with his shot and continue to adapt with what the goalies are picking up, he could still be a pretty effective shooter in this league. Um, and another analogy that uh, the Feralunda coach, uh, his Feralunda coach, uh, Roger Ronberg, said um he he says he's he's very he's very um he he always shoots to score he's very smart with the puck very smart with his shots he doesn't shoot to collect any rebounds he finds those holes that's hard to cover for the goalie and he's he's also very, very coachable and a guy like ralph Kruger, who is a very good people person has really gotten a hold of the Sabres team. Like if you yeah. listen to Rasmus rith in his comments uh, a few games into the season, he says Ralph Krueger is one of the best coaches I have ever worked with. And this was a guy who wasn't sure about his future in Buffalo a couple of, years, uh, a couple of weeks back. Maybe I can't say 100% sure if that's changed or not, but he really seems to like Ralph Kruger. So if ralph Kruger and victor Olson really vibe together well and they they really feed off of each other and victor olivson is always willing to learn and put himself in new situations and he's always willing to adapt and adapt with ease i could really see a bright future for this kid i just don't know what that future looks like because like a lot of us that don't watch european hockey on the regular we don't know much about this kid because we haven't seen him play a whole lot
1: Right. Yeah. I guess that's fair. That's a fair point. Um, also, I should because you were mentioning the Swedish Hockey League, like you know, he had forty three points in fifty games last year for uh, for Lunda, twenty seven points in fifty one games uh, the year before that. Like you know, the uh, I've looked at the stats at the Swedish Hockey League before. Uh, they don't usually have a ton of high scoring. Uh, point getters like that so that's there is something to be said for like even I was mostly focused on the AHL but like even from like the Swedish Hockey League perspective having like 43 point almost a point per game um is still pretty good uh for the Swedish Hockey League because the scoring isn't as high as it is in the NHL or the AHL um so that uh, that's uh, that's a pretty good uh, mark in that sense too. Yeah, I, I, I was know. I
0: was more so surprised from the HL stats the fact that he was a rookie in the HL, never playing a season in North America before, and he just goes out and scores three right. goals and sixty points like it's nothing.
1: Well, it's kind of like um, Elias Pettersson. Like Pettersson, yeah. like made wrecked havoc in the SHL, and then all of a sudden he the next year he's. He's like a superstar um, rookie in the NHL. So it's very similar in that sense. But yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're right. Um, okay. Um, that about wraps it up for us. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll be on next week. We're not exactly sure when we'll record because we're both busy next week. Um, it's my birthday on Monday the 28th. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that, that's about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll check, you, we'll catch you next time. Not sure when that will be yet. Um, our first, uh, Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Up. Our, um, you can catch us on SoundCloud and Spotify and whatever other podcasts that are sold. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 190 whenever we record it on the Lays Up podcast.